Hello, hello! Welcome to Video Gameography, Game Informer's number one video game history podcast where we laugh and we learn. My name is Marcus Stewart, and we have come to the fourth episode of our season six examination of the Devil May Cry series. That can only mean one thing. We're talking about Devil May Cry 4. An interesting, a turning point in the series, and we'll get into the why in a second. But first, I got to introduce my guests. We have a, a, a historic event here, folks, because for the first time in video gameography, we have a two-time, or rather I should say a consecutive appearance in a row. You heard him on the Devil May Cry 3 episode, and he's back due to fan demand. Wesley Bates of the Great Game Debate podcast. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Hey, hey, I'm back. I'm so happy to be back. Um, thanks for uh, for having me again. I yeah. uh, I didn't know we were making history here, so. <laughs> oh, we make history. Every, everything we do, Wes, we make history. That's just you know that's just how we roll. I hope the uh, I'm sure the seat was still warm from when you left before. So. Yeah, you know, my cat usually sleeps there, so it's always warm. Oh no! Oh, you sit yeah. on your cat. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he. He's a weirdo like that. I what can I say? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just give him what he wants, which you know I guess is the rule for being a cat owner uh, in general. But yeah, you know, uh, if you listened last week, you know all about Wes. But you know, if for the newcomers, if you didn't listen to Devil May Cry through episode Wes, can you just give a uh, quick summary of who you are and what the Great Game Debate show is? Yeah. So um, the Great Game Debate is a Discord server uh, originally. Uh, that we started at the kind of onset of the pandemic and it kind of blossomed into a podcast. And on the podcast, um, we uh, kind of center everything around video game debates. So we come up with fun topics. Uh, we usually have a guest every episode from the industry or just uh, from friends that we we enjoy talking to. And um, we try to tailor a debate to their passions and the things that they enjoy. And uh, they're like 12 minute long, 12 minutes long, so they're not super, super long. It's just one segment of the show. Um, and then we play trivia games and uh, give each other video game sales pitches and uh, do um, interviews and all sorts of fun stuff. So uh, it's just a good uh, jolly time with friends chatting games. Nice. And you've had a few of us from Game Former on. You know, I was on one. Uh, former editor Alex Dadnick has been on one, I think. Yeah, we had uh, we had Kim on also once right. uh, she and I had a, a hearty debate about um, JRPG villains. That was a fun nice. one. Yeah. I would think. Uh, what's the the idiot from. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, man, it just flew out of my head. I had someone that was really bad, but good. <laughs> and they were so bad that they flew out of my head, brain. I don't know. Let's replace him with the Final Fantasy nine guy. What was his name? Kuja. That guy. Yeah, cool. Kuja. Yeah. yeah. Were you thinking He's, of Kefka from Final Fantasy VI? Or? No, Kefka's cool. Yeah. No, Kefka he is, is the best yeah. Final Fantasy villain, in my opinion. I agree. And that was my argument, uh, you know, when Kim and I debated. And she pulled some Joker from uh, Suikoden 2. And uh, I, I don't know how that went, but, uh, ah, you know. <laughs> a Joker against the Joker. It's always, you know, <laughs> what the, uh, the Joker sequel that's going to be coming out is about. But yeah, awesome. Be sure to uh, check that uh, podcast out. It's awesome. I can attest to that. And you know what's also going to be awesome is talking about Devil May Cry 4. Heck a yeah. Very, yes. Released in 2008. An interesting year that we'll get into in just a moment. But Wes, as we always start the show, I would like to know what your personal history is with uh, Devil May Cry 4. 
in a DMC three episode, you said that was your favorite of the series. So mm-hmm. I'm extra curious to see where does Devil May Cry four rank then on that pantheon? Um, it probably ranks third for me. Um, I would probably rank three, then one, then four, then five, then probably DMC Devil May Cry, and two is easily at the bottom. <laughs> That's got to be uh, the we, easiest, we, like, yeah, like bottom choice of any series, right? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. So I came to uh, Devil May Cry 4 pretty late. Um, I didn't have a PS3 at launch. I ended up getting it kind of like in the back half of 2008. And um, I started playing some other games uh, at that point. Devil May Cry 4 had already been out. And uh, I ended up picking it up later, but I didn't actually get into it, I think, until the special edition came out uh, sometime later. Um, And uh, I played through it. uh, I've actually only played through it uh, once. Um, But uh, yeah, it's a a good game. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, We can talk about that, I think, deeper into the show. But uh, um, yeah, I I think it's a really, really solid entry in the series. Um, It didn't catch me like three did, but uh, but I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And that's kind of the story of this game, right? It's like, how do you follow Devil May Cry 3? And, you know, one of the big answers was it's coming to, at least at the time, the next generation of hardware. It's the first yeah. PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 Devil May Cry. So that's, you know, it's got this new tech push behind it. And that's what excited me about the game when it was announced. I remember getting the, uh, the Game Informer cover of it, uh, yeah. which I remember it being pretty, a pretty cool cover. It was a cool cover. Nero on the front. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's fun. I wish I still had it. I don't have my old game informer. I had to recycle them when I was moving. And I had to make some They they tend to accumulate. You know, I've had, I remember back in college was when I started getting GI and I just had this monstrous stack of magazines. And it's like, what do you do with these? You put them in a box and then they weigh, you know, seven tons and (laughs) hard to move around. And yep same thing and this is before i started working here so just to be clear, that would be more awkward like yeah i started working here and then i threw out the thing that i do now um but uh yeah i i loved devil may cry four um i not as much as three like you said i think it's got some issues and we'll get into it um but i remember being excited also a little uh worried because you know nero being a new protagonist is one of those things where you know, it's like, oh, is this going to be like a Metal Gear Solid 2 Raiden situation? And I'm not yeah. even one of the people that hated Raiden or anything like that. He's just not as cool as Snake. You know, that's just <laughs> at the end of the day. Raiden's right. fine, but he's not Snake. Uh, right, so yeah. Like, I know that that uh, the developers were worried about that. They, I think I saw somewhere they specifically cited that they were worried about a, a Metal Gear Solid 2 situation bringing new characters yeah. in. Right. Imagine if four went sideways with the reception and then they just overcorrected like they did in uh, Middle Gear Solid 4, where they're like, well, now Nero's a cyborg. That's cool, right? Look at all this stuff he's doing. <laughs> I'd actually like to see Nero as a cyborg. That would be pretty well. Technically, I guess he, I guess he is. Sort yeah, of I just thought... becomes one later. <laughs> oh, yeah. That just, <laughs> we had the same epiphany of like, well, don't make Cry 5. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe they, they did take a little bit of a note from that, but. Yeah, you know, Nero uh, coming into the fold, wondering, like, okay, who's this new guy? Um, but still, at the end of the day, excited, because I, I love DMC, and I wanted to see, like, oh, it's going to run on my, at the time, you know, I had a PlayStation 3, didn't have a 360 yet. So I was like, oh, man, let's see what this cell processor can do for this series. going to be great. <laughs> and, yeah, this this game has a very, 
uh maybe of all the devil may cries i've researched with the exception of two seemingly a, the most tumultuous development history it sounds like this game was not the easiest thing to put together uh because you know again because there's so many big changes and the move the the jump new hardware so yeah but overall don't make right four i would say ranks i'd say three is still number one dmc five or in it's probably number two and then dmc the ninja theory game and then i, I guess this is four <laughs> uh dmc four, four is at four. four there we go very fitting but, yeah, so I think that's where I stand right now at the top of my head ranking. Uh, but yeah, let's get into it. So let's take a look back at 2008. Get in the time machine. <laughs> get in and fire up the flux capacitor and hit. Do you? Do you? I'm gonna. I'm gonna put you on the spot, West. Do you know how fast you have to go? 88 miles an hour. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I, was like, I actually don't know if you're Back to the Future fan at all. So. <laughs> oh, I, I love that series. It's probably my favorite movie trilogy of all time. So That's great, because I, I almost made you look very foolish in front of the world. But that's okay. What's a flux capacitor? <laughs> <laughs> Give me that TARDIS. That's a time machine, I think, right? I don't watch Doctor Who. Uh, but 2008 Doctor Who was around, and you know what else was around? Some other pretty good video games. So in addition to Devil May Cry 4, uh, this was the year that we retreated to the first Dead Space, which is getting remade in, God, just a few months. What a uh, game. What a great game. One of my yeah. favorites of the year. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 4, landmark entry in the series, which I guess all of them kind of are because they come so rarely at this point. Yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see 6 in 2025, I'm guessing this point you think so a, even yeah. that feels i don't know yeah, why it might, that feels might be generous. too might be too much i don't know that might be what it's announced <laughs> there's point. all those rumors that just came out so that's why that i'm kind true. of like thinking seems like it's been a while but anyway yeah fallout 3 was this year one of my favorites oh. of this uh, generation for sure that was my game of the year that year i oh. love fallout 3 okay nice i yeah. was gonna ask you what your game of the year was but there it is fallout 3 there it is fallout 3 uh, uh we got mirror's edge underrated favorite fable 2 left for dead rock band 2 super smash brothers brawl the first little big planet gears of war 2 so some big sequels and some, you know, big debuts between Little Big Planet and, and Left for Dead. So I, yeah. 2008, I feel like I think coming off of 2007, which is one of the best years ever, uh, maybe feels a little forgotten. But there were some, I mean, between like, again, GTA, Dead Space, Fallout, some like legit classics. Force Unleashed came out that year also. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. And like. The question still remains, will we ever see Starkiller? turn in the disney star wars stuff i could like, see them pulling him into maybe like an animated series or something like that maybe i mean we got that you know spoilers for obi-wan but there was that scene in obi-wan where he stops the ship which is very reminiscent of the beginning of that game when he oh were, shoot like, i haven't gotten that in far game. in obi-wan yet <laughs> oh <I'm sorry>. it's not <laughs> That's like okay. A, okay i didn't say what the context was of him stopping <laughs> so something but, to look forward to yeah all right <laughs> Well, now that we've ruined Obi-Wan Kenobi for you <laughs> forever, <laughs> let's talk about the movies that came out in 2008. So the best picture winner this year was Slumdog Millionaire, which I still have not seen. I remember all my friends oh, going nuts for it. It's really good. It's a really good, like, yeah, I, I could watch. It's really rewatchable, I think. 
It's one of my wife's favorite movies, so we watch it a lot. I enjoy musicals. I have nothing against them, but I also have to be coaxed into watching them, if that makes sense. Like, it's really got to be. I still have not seen Hamilton, and I feel awful about it whenever I remember that I've not seen it because of the phenomenon that it, it's caused. And it's like, yeah, it's on Disney Plus. I could watch this anytime. And I'm, I do want to watch it because it's interesting, but I have it. And I had that with Slumdog Millionaire. I'm like, Oh, this seems like cool and everyone seems to like it. I I should check this out. And it's been 12 years now. So Yeah, if you have a cool three hours to kill, Hamilton's not a bad way to spend it. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Slumdog was three. I was like, really? Oh no, 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 no. No, not quite that long. But you know what I did see this year? And something that feels a lot more important in hindsight than it did at the time, but this was the year that we got the first Iron Man, and in oh, turn. Yeah. The start of the MCU, 2008. Who could have guessed <laughs> in 2008 not, where we would be now? Not me. But you know, now, boy, what a phenomenon. We got Moon Knight as a show. <laughs> like, that's how <laughs> far down the barrel we've gone. Moon Knight yeah. gets a show. <laughs> yeah, so, I, uh, yeah, that really blew up, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, it, it's, and it's not stopping anytime soon. If you watch Comic-Con, you know we... We will die before the MCU ends. <laughs> I know that I will. I'll be dead for sure. <laughs> also, we got uh, the Incredible Hulk, which is the second entry in the MCU that nobody talks about. Uh, the Dark Knight released this year. One of the best superhero movies of all time, in my uh, opinion. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. So yeah. good. Amazing. One uh, of the best. One of the best Jokers. Heath Ledger. Did you think this was one of the best films ever uh, ever made? Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, man, we were just talking about this over the weekend um, and just how bad that movie is. And, uh, no, definitely yeah. not. I, I I can't believe, actually, that they're even considering doing another Indiana Jones movie. I think the point. idea is that, well, the bar is kind of low that we can pretty easily step over it. It doesn't have to be amazing. <laughs> it just has to be better than that. And people will be satisfied. It just has to be ser serviceable. <laughs> yeah, like if it's just like... Just and like people crap on Temple of Doom. I was going to say it has to be at least Temple of Doom level, even though personally, and I get hate for this, Temple of Doom is my favorite indie movie. Really? And, and a lot of it is because it was the first one I saw. I saw, oh, okay. I saw Temple of Doom first and then I saw Raiders and you know, the third one. Uh, so I, it's I, a little bit of nostalgia there of like it's your introduction to it. But I like me some Temple of Doom. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty good movie. I had like nightmares from watching that movie when i was like five years old yeah that'll do it that heart yeah, scene is a... the heart thing yeah that was just like ugh. yeah you realize like you probably shouldn't have watched this at the age that i saw still still, <laughs> still gives me the chills to this day <laughs> and just to run through some of these other films we got burn after reading cloverfield the wrestler hancock taken which has become a whole meme in itself uh and uh quantum of solace 007. Oh, and I forgot I added this as my own personal thing. Uh, did you ever watch Ip Man, the first Ip Man martial arts film? No, I haven't seen. I've seen a lot of clips from Ip Man and its subsequent sequels, um, but I haven't actually watched the movie like in its full. So, yeah. Hey, Wes. Yeah, you, you should watch it, man. All right. Uh, I'm going to go watch it right now. I'll be back.
Okay. And then we're just going to, the, the episode is just going to be about it, man. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh. just did, boy, we really derailed this thing <laughs> from Devil May Cry 4 to It Man. I guarantee you the people listening that have seen It Man would not mind that movie rocks. Uh, you know what also maybe rocks a little less or maybe more? I guess it depends on your perspective is some of the news that had, came out in 2008, both in video games and in the world. So really the only lone video game news I found of note was uh, this was the year that Blizzard revealed Diablo 3 up okay. in Paris, uh, which seems weird. I, I didn't realize it was that far back before that game was announced, but I guess they're doing that right now with Diablo 4 because Lord knows when that game's going to launch. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this was uh, when people still love Blizzard, I guess, back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah, especially uh -huh. comparatively speaking, yeah, for sure. Though this was probably the first instance of people complaining, right? Because I don't know if it was this reveal or the ones, the showings after where people were complaining that it looked too much like sunshine and rainbows and not like enough like death metal. It's not enough blood. Yeah, they're like, what is this thing? You guys added colors? <laughs> not Baby enough carnage. Game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I'll never understand it. Like, you guys are treating this like it's the Wind Waker of Diablo, <laughs> but okay. Uh, this was also the year that Spotify, the popular music service, launched in Sweden, which I didn't realize wow. it was based in Sweden. I didn't. Uh, I did not know that either. And but, I didn't know that it was that old either. <laughs> yeah. So for the people listening to this podcast through Spotify, uh, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. You know what else exactly. was a battle? Landing on Mars. It's pretty hard to do. From what still I is, I, as far as I. I know. So yeah, yeah. I guess we haven't we haven't gotten there as people, but this was the year that NASA sent an uncrewed spacecraft, and it was the first one. It was called the Phoenix. It landed on the polar region of Mars, cold side, as they call it scientifically. Okay. Like, you know, this is where we come to cool off after dealing with all this hot desert. Or I assume is it hot on Mars? Because you think it's hot? It's further from the sun. We are. I, yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember back to when I watched The Martian. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> that's your scientific you know, if, reference. If, if Matt Damon <laughs> had to deal with extreme heat while he was there. Uh, I don't really remember, to be honest with you. <laughs> I too saw The Martian. I'm trying to remember. Like, yeah, was there a scene where he's just like wipes his sweat? <laughs> he's like, man, it's hot out here. When he's farming those potatoes, maybe. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I have to rewatch it now. It's a good movie. Uh, of course, this was the year that Obama was inaugurated president, first African-American president. American Very historic. History. Pretty important. Yeah, and, definitely. And yeah, those are the only things that happened in 2008. It was a pretty okay. mundane year afterwards, uh, which honestly, we could use more years like that where not much happened. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> take take I, me back. <laughs> yeah, simpler, simpler time, simpler news stories. Let's, put, let's and, try and, to get back. And to Devil Mars. May Cry 4 came out also. Yes, Devil May Cry 4 came out. So let's dive into it. So the development of Devil May Cry 4. So this is something, I, when I was going through research, and again, if you've been wa uh, listening to the other entries in this uh, series, uh, we have learned that the Devil May Cry series is pretty, uh, uh, Cap Capcom's a pretty tapped lip on how these games are made. There isn't like as much out there as I would like. But one thing that I did find that I was kind of gobsmacked by I don't know how I didn't know this was that Devil May Cry 4 the very first time it was even mentioned or seen was way back in 2005 mm -hmm. just yep. a few months after Devil May Cry 3 came out it was at an E3 
where it was first announced as a PlayStation 3 exclusive. Now, keep in mind, the PlayStation 3 had been announced, but it wouldn't launch until November of 2006. And so I was wrapping my mind around the fact that, like, oh, DMC3 was still really new, and they were already talking about the fourth game. But then what blew my mind even more was that same year, a few months later, at the Tokyo Game Show in 2005, they showed Devil May Cry 4 again in the form of a teaser trailer that featured a very, I'm just going to say bad-looking Dante. <laughs> uh, kind of just walking to, like, he's in a street, and there's a camera, and he just kind of walks up to the camera, and he attacks it. And uh, it's really bizarre. And I had no idea that this existed. Like, to, in my mind, I first started hearing about uh, Devil May Cry 4 around, like, maybe, like, 06, 07. You know, like, I forget when yeah. the Game Informer cover story was, but around... Yeah, I was going to say, exactly when that, that Game Informer dropped. That's probably yeah, I, it, right? Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea that it was formally announced just months after DMC3, let alone with, like, you know teaser footage none of the footage shown made it into the actual game and dante looks yeah. completely different and i encourage people to look up that it's on youtube the uh tokyo game show 2005 uh reveal trailer to see what i'm talking about because dante looks bizarre have you seen this wes i i haven't seen it i've heard about it um and i was reading i guess that basically they just put that out so that people would know that it was a thing and that it was happening pretty but, much <laughs> but they didn't actually you know i guess intend to use any of what they were actually putting out yeah which is good because dante's face in that trailer especially he looks like a completely different person it kind of looks like a is he uh, has... does he have like the chris redfield thing going on where every game he looks completely different oh yeah this is the <laughs> yeah because he looks he looks like a square enix character like he, okay. he has that sort of like feminine sort of like anime face and granted like dante already like looks like an anime character but like if you see what i'm talking about he does not look like dante at all the rest of them is like fine you're like okay red coat that kind of stuff but his face is the thing that i could not stop staring at <laughs> hmm. and it was like yeah i'm glad this wasn't what we got <laughs> so um but yeah it's it's fascinating i don't even think nero was conceived at all at that point they just kind of knew like yeah like you said we're making another one of these, you know, you're yeah. I'm sure most of you watching this are still struggling through Devil May Cry 3 as we speak. <laughs> so, yeah, probably. Yeah, I I don't know how accurate this is, but I heard that the active development of the game was only like a year and a half long. Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on when you consider like the actual start of it, because they uh the Devil May Cry team, which was still led by uh, Hideaki Itsuno, Mr. Devil May Cry himself. Uh, from what I found, the dev team grew to about 80 people mm -hmm. to work yep. on DMC4. And one of the things they were trying to figure out was, you know, obviously not only what this is going to be, but hey, this is going to be the first Devil May Cry on this fancy PlayStation 3 hardware. And at the time, DMC4 was only slated for PlayStation 3. It wouldn't be announced yep. for 360 until like oh, a couple of years later uh, from development. Um, so it was a lot of like figuring out, you know, like the transfer of technology of like what engine are we going to use at one point uh they decide or originally they were thinking about using a new engine but then settled with the mt framework engine that they were mm -hmm. familiar with which they used for uh, lost planet and i believe dead rising as well yep yep just sort of like an improved version of it 
but <clears throat> yeah, same engine. And one of the big stories with this game is that the development was just challenging because of that transition to the new hardware on top of the desire to make a new character to be the star of the game and mm-hmm. everything that comes with that. Yeah, I, I had heard that they actually didn't even know the capabilities of the PlayStation 3. Like it was announced for a PlayStation 3, but they didn't have any of the specs or any. I, I don't know if they actually even uh, they started development of the game on PC, I guess, um, even before because they didn't have any um, like dev units to use to start building the game on. Yeah, they didn't even get their prototype boomerang controllers to start mapping out the control <laughs> scheme. You know, they're like, what do we do? All back to the last episode, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that makes sense why they would do that, because at this point, you know, DMC, even though it was only on one console generation at that point, the PlayStation 2, it had established itself as a PlayStation exclusive franchise. So I guess it's kind of like, well, it's a given that this is just going to be on the next one and that it's just going to stick to that, because why wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because, you know, the Xbox was only one console in and, you know, the story that would become the bane of the Xbox brand's life didn't do the greatest in Japan <laughs> and still doesn't. Right. Uh, what was that? There was a story I read recently where it was something like the combined lifetime sales of the entire Xbox brand, like like of all their console sales combined together in Japan was only a few million. I'm surprised even that much, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah really has not done well over over in that in that market and it would be it would be horrible just for one generation but the idea of like no all of them combined (laughs) only sold a few million like less than like you know maybe the average playstation over there or even like a nintendo console i remember like putting that putting things to perspective of like wow okay like i now i want to meet the person in japan that is an xbox fanboy and ask them how that feels to be like one in a million it seems uh so yeah devil may cry for a given like yeah this is going to be on the hardware that is popular in our country and so this was the first game that uh bingo moriashi who we talked about last episode is basically the father of virgil game writer uh he got a nice promotion to become the lead writer of devil may cry 4 and that would be that would prove to be a rough time for him. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that he uh, he actually quit during the yes. development of the game. <laughs> yes. And, he, that, uh... Uh, and that Itsuno had to go uh, ask him to come back. Which I would like to see. Like, have you watched the Get Back documentary? No, uh-uh, I haven't seen it. OK, there's a point in that documentary where George Harrison does the exact same thing. OK, like, he just gets so frustrated with the just like, like I'm done. Yeah, like he, stri- he quits the band straight up. Like he's like, I'm out. And then like they the the Beatles and or the rest of them have to go talk to him. And then that didn't go well, but then eventually they talk to him again and he comes back. But that's what it reminded me of. Like, okay, bingo was the George Harrison who just got tired of listening. George I don't know. Harrison don't make cry. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad thing to be. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I'm glad that he came back and finished uh what he started because I think Nero is honestly a awesome addition to the game yeah and nero and the reason nero was even conceived in the first place because they uh, itsuno and the devil may cry team figured like okay since we're bringing devil may cry to a new generation of consoles we're going to be getting a new audience of players 
And they didn't think it made sense to take the Dante that was in Devil May Cry 3, who by the end of that game has all of these abilities between the four fighting styles and all the weapons you get. It wouldn't feel right to depower him arbitrarily of like, you know, the video game thing of like, uh-oh. They don't want to pull a, pull a Samus. <laughs> exactly. Like, is he going to yeah. run into death in Symphony of the Night? And he's just like, yoink, <laughs> buy all your cool stuff. Have fun swinging a stick. Uh, and also, since uh, they figured that Dante, by the end of the game, is kind of an advanced character to use because of everything he has. And they're like, okay, we don't want to we don't want to scare off newcomers by introducing them to a character who's pretty complicated. So what's the best way we can start fresh that isn't taking away Dante's ability? Let's just make someone new because then you have a blank canvas to work with and you can tune him the way you want. And so that was sort of the guiding principle for Nero. So, you know, the big differences between Nero and Dante is that Nero throughout the entirety of the game, he only has two weapons Mm -hmm. and, or I guess three, if you count his devil bringer, you know, he doesn't get new stuff the way Dante traditionally does. He just has the red queen, which is his weird motorcycle sword thing. Uh, which I, I still to this day don't quite understand the mechanics of of like how would that work and how does it help exactly? Like how does it hurt? Make things hurt more? <laughs> it seems yeah. It seems like it when I was reading it has some sort of a like fuel injection system. So yeah. it like injects the blade with some kind of fuel that ignites it and heats the sword up, which you know I guess adds some kind of like. Uh, heat damage or explosive damage or or something like that i don't know it's kind so for me it's just kind of like the gun swords from final fantasy 7 it's like how does a gun sword work you know like what what's the gun aspect other than just the trigger i feel like squall's gun blade still makes more sense because that literally could shoot like bullets like it actually functioned like a gun with like a big blade so you could argue like okay it's almost like a musket like you know with like a bayonet at the end uh more or less (laughs) Um, yeah but like if you're gonna do the thing of like okay i want a sword that gets real hot basically that's what i'm looking for mm-hmm. instead of having it shoot gas basically like it's gonna shoot gasoline that heats <laughs> up why not just have a mechanism that just makes the the blade hot like why not just have it heat up without the gas because it seems like that'd be dangerous of like okay it's spewing some gas it's gonna ignite what if it like exploded in my hand or something or Cause, caught fire because it's not as cool marcus you got to be able to rev that thing, you know. Did he make that too? I he, I, I, I like, read well in the wiki. It said that he did that. He modified it to he he built both that and the the blue rose his gun, which I guess makes sense. Why it's like this unstable? Like, is it like Kylo Ren's lightsaber? Because he made that too, and that's why it looks like it's gonna explode at any moment. <laughs> I guess I don't know. It seems like it's powerful enough i mean it stands up to you know rebellion and a bunch of other you know demonic weapons so yeah i mean it works it it gets you know it's the job done (laughs) i i can question his methods all i want but i guess i can't argue with the results it's just ever since devil may cry 4 i've always been like i feel like there's a better way you could do the same thing (laughs) but you know but it does look cool to see him stab it on the ground and do the yeah I just love like, it uh, when he does that, and then like Dante just sticks his own sword in the ground, and just goes whoop, whoop, with his own wrist, like he's just totally just taunting him. You know when Dante <laughs> clowns you, <laughs> you know it's like okay, is this yeah. is what I'm doing kind of dumb? I don't know, but exactly. Nero, one of the fun things about him, as a Power Rangers fan, 
He is played by the second Black Ranger ever, Johnny Young Bosch, who came into the series. If you're old like me, were you a Power Rangers fan growing up? Oh yeah, yeah. I remember Johnny Young Bosch as the as the second Black Ranger in the old, 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 old Power Ranger series. Yeah, when they, had, they when they became the ninjas and they had the the animals or like he was the frog and everything. Yeah, he was back the when they well they had the dinosaurs first and then they moved up from there and just like but yeah that. no he that was I remember seeing him there first and then later on um, he got in really into uh, anime voice acting he was Ichigo Kurosaki and Bleach and uh, has done a lot of video games and a lot of anime since then yeah. So he is a Nero's voice actor and a motion capture performer, both in this game and Devil May Cry 5. And he's been on record of saying that of all the video games roles that he's done, Nero is his absolute favorite, mainly because he did get to do the actual motion capture and wasn't just the voice. Like he flew out to Japan to do all the, you know, movements. He got to rev the sword, (laughs) you know, so he knows what it's like to do it. Yeah, I think it's really cool that they, um, that they had him go out because I remember when we were talking about Devil May Cry three, how much they talked about kind of like what a Japanese focused game that was. And they were really kind of um, really aiming to kind of capture the heart of the Japanese fans. But so it seems like almost they've taken a, a, a turn of heart in a way, like bringing a American um, actor in to do the mocap and do the voices. And actually, right. the some of the voice work for the on the Japanese side was actually modeled after Johnny Young Bosch's voice work for Nero. That's they were trying to like capture the same spirit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how do you say no to a Power Ranger? You can't. It's impossible. Especially the best color, the Black Ranger. That's the what you're <laughs> saying. <laughs> um, so yeah. So and uh, so the idea of Nero, of course, is basic character synopsis is that you know he's this young uh like resident of this holy city called uh oh god fortuna Fortuna. yeah and you know he's part of the order of the sword and the idea of everyone that lives here is that they worship sparta who of course is dante's demon dad and they basically revere him as a god and you know dante invades and one of the coolest Tano, uh, like the things that uh, sold me on this game, besides the fact that it's a Devil May Cry game, I'm going to play it no matter what, is the idea that Dante was positioned as the bad guy and that you had to come after him. Which, on one hand, is the cliche thing you do for your series at a certain point when you have enough entries where you go, okay, this is the fourth or fifth movie or game. We have to make the good guy the bad guy now. Uh, you know, Fast and the Furious did it. Uh, you know, Marvel's done it with Civil War. Like, at some point, you got to flip the script. So this is Devil May Cry. This is Devil May Cry's Fast and the Furious 8? Was it 8 when Vin Diesel's the bad guy with Charlize Theron, I think? Gosh, I, I'll be honest. Like, I have not kept up with that series at all. I think I watched Tokyo Drift, and then I was like, okay, this is enough for me. And I'm probably missing out on some really good stuff there. But, uh, yeah, it just got to be more than I could handle. <laughs> If it makes you feel better, that's two more than me because I have only seen the first movie. <laughs> but okay. I've seen the trailers for all of them. And every time I see a new one, I'm like, man, I feel like this is what this is what I want to watch. Because I'm not a car guy, but at a certain point, it went from like streetcar culture to action, dumb, awesome stuff. And I need to now see. Now we're racing tanks. Yeah, the rocks here <laughs> and people are getting. Yeah, like now this is just anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I need to watch the series to get to the the good stuff or whatever you want to call it. But uh. 
But yeah, so, you know, Dante's the bad guy. And, you know, Nero, the, the mystery around him from the moment he's announced is like, okay, what's his ties to the, the Sparta bloodline? Because he's got the white hair. He's clearly has the same superhuman abilities as Dante. But as far as we know, there's only two sons of Sparta. So what is this kid's connection? And, you know, like we mentioned before, conceiving uh, Nero and figuring out what he was going to be was a, a real struggle for Capcom at different points. Uh, Bingo Morisashi has talked about how in uh, the early years they had to cut a lot of content when development was not going smoothly. A lot of that was because uh, Capcom was struggling with the PS3 hardware. And a lot of the content that was cut did relate to Nero directly. Uh, apparently one of those things was that he was originally going to have multiple uh, devil triggers, which, mm. you know, in, in the final game, he technically had zero. I mean, I guess his spectral sort of. form. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. not, it, it serves the same function as like a traditional devil trigger, but he himself does not become a demon. <laughs> uh, right. So hearing that it's like okay they must have changed some narrative stuff if he was gonna have like i guess a real one and not only just one but like multiple of them uh so i wonder i would assume that would mean like a script rewrite of sorts to explain that yeah i i know in his uh development he went through a number of um like design changes i read that he was supposed to originally appear like a sherlock holmes type character like sipping tea while he's like in the middle of fighting demons. Um, and then he was supposed to be, yeah, exactly. That's what Sherlock Holmes did. Right. Um, and then he was supposed to be like very aristocratic and, um, I sounded like, but wearing like a white uniform, kind of like the order of the sword characters do. Um, and, uh, so yeah, they, they scrapped a lot of design concepts for Nero during the development. It's funny because everything you said sounds like that would be either Virgil or like Sparta in his human form because he has the yeah. aristocratic kind of his human form look about him. And I wonder, was there a point where someone tapped someone on the shoulders like, you know, we already kind of did this. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, also, that white coat is interesting because I don't know if you know or remember in Devil May Cry 5, you can have the you can unlock or buy a white coat for Nero. And where I don't that remember game. that. Yeah, if you there's cutscenes you can look up on like YouTube with him wearing it, but I wonder if that was a nod to that. <laughs> it could all. be. There's a lot of interesting nods to like. There was a fun cheeky nod I saw that was a callback to Devil May Cry three in um the special edition. The there's a a nod to the Beowulf boss in the right. opening in the opening cutscene of of Virgil's story. He's like walking by and there's a poster and it just shows this big monster and just says Beowulf across it, which hmm. technically that, that was supposed to take place before Devil May Cry 3 did. But I thought mm -hmm. it was a, a fun Easter egg that they put in. You think they were just fans of the 2007 animated film Beowulf? Hmm. I didn't before. But now you've got me thinking. You know, everybody was really impressed with how <laughs> like good the CG in that movie was. Also, shamefully, that's another movie I have not seen. And I feel like I can never watch it now because the one thing about that movie was the visuals. And I and know they it has... just have not aged at this point. <laughs> I've never looked it up, but I don't want to because I remember seeing the trend like, wow, this looks amazing. I got to see this and then just never did. And it's like, well, I'm not it's not going to have the impact now. Like, it's like that movie is aged as gracefully as a French fry <laughs> at this. point. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. You may as well skip it at this point. 
So yeah, we need a Last of Us one remake of it, uh, like overhaul as video game, as movies become <laughs> just more do the whole thing over again. Yeah, due to, like due to popular demand, we're bringing back the animated Beowulf movie. <laughs> Finally, Angelina <laughs> Jolie is is back, baby. Uh, <laughs> she's the only person I know that's in that movie. Um, so yeah, so. Uh, the other thing with Nero, of course, the Devil Bringer, which is his demon arm, which is kind of the main thing that separates him and Dante, is that, you know, he can use it to, it extends, and it lets you bring uh, enemies towards you, which Capcom kind of would, in interviews, point to as, like, uh, the main thing, or the main difference between the two in terms of combat styles, because you can keep enemies around you with Nero, whereas Dante kind of pushes them away yeah. with everything that he does, and that exactly. Can, I don't know if I call it annoying, but it maybe because you get used to it. But, you know, it, you just kind of have to fight differently with that in mind. But I remember loving the idea of like, oh, man, I can like launch someone in the air and then beat them up. And as they fall, I can yank them back up into the air and just keep the combo going as long as I was able to. And it's this game would uh, end up being a hit because of it, because, you know, we've seen that mechanic return in the two subsequent games after this. Uh, so if they, you know, of all the things that this game knocked out of the park that is certainly one of them so fortuna itself inspired by the vatican city mm -hmm. in case that wasn't probably obvious if you played that game uh capcom took a trip to italy as well as uh turkey and looked at istanbul as well so those were the two main examples have you ever been to the vatican city i have actually what is is it like devil may cry for um there's more people around, I'll say that much. I didn't see any demons. Uh you could tell, right? You know, just Yeah, no, I mean it the, the inspiration is kind of undeniable there. Um it definitely feels like that when you see it. And um the fact that you have pretty much everybody in the city wears a hood, like a white hood, and is walking around. Yeah. Even Wait, than like in, normal in the real citizens. Oh no 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 no! In the in the game, okay. Sorry, I was referring to <laughs> yes, yes, in Vatican, everybody wears white hood. Um, no, it's it's it just yeah, it just definitely gives that kind of like holy, kind of you know feeling. These people are all very religious, and um, I think that was actually one of the themes of the of Devil May Cry Four was uh, was religion. There's obviously a lot of religious overtones, even the names of of most of the supporting cast of the game uh, come from parts of uh, Catholic Mass. Like well. Ag Ag Agnes? Yeah, exactly. He's one of them. Uh, uh, Credo. Oh, um, gotta have Credo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, some of the other ones. At least that's what I... I'm not Catholic, but that's what I was reading, apparently, that was inspired by that. Also, like uh, Kyrie, Kyrie, who I always, you know, it, when I read it without knowing, I would say, is this, I was like, oh, Kyrie. Kyrie, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I think of like Kyrie Irving. Uh, but it's Ki Kyrie. Kyrie. Uh, is that also a biblical thing? To I don't, I don't believe so. I could be wrong, but I, I doubt it. Um, I think it was just mainly, mainly uh, the main kind of antagonistic group more or less. I think Gloria uh, is um, just trying to remember the name of the uh, the main the main antagonist. Oh, Sanctus. Oh, Sanctus. Yeah. Also. So. 
Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Also, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, <clears throat> what is it like to go into the Vatican City? Because in my brain, and I know it's probably not like this, but when I think about visiting that place, I feel like it's behind a giant wall and there's like literal pearly gates that you have to pass through to get into it. And then maybe even someone there at the checkpoint that like, I don't know if like, he can't tell if you're a good person, obviously, but like, does he give you like a little quiz? <laughs> about, yeah. Asking, I mean, like, there's, there's, life. there's definitely, definitely heavy security going in. Um, I mean, this was fifth, 10, how many years ago? Like 11 years ago that I went, um, my wife and I went for our, uh, fifth anniversary um but uh yeah it's a lot of heavy security um you're with like a guide the entire time that you go through they lead you to select parts through it you know you could go and you could see the sistine chapel and you could see you know um some of the more famous things that are there it's not like they take you to meet the pope or anything like that but uh <laughs> it's just the thing you can sign up for is so, it yeah come meet yeah the pope, you can you know, basically of- go <laughs> Yeah, it's the extra expensive tour package. <laughs> he's just, not like he has anything to do. He just like, he just sits there and just kisses hands and yeah, or I guess kiss his hand. I, I don't know. <laughs> but okay, that's interesting. So the fact that uh, Dante was able to sneak in undetected and shoot their leader point blank in the skull is pretty impressive. Then with all that security, I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't you know monitoring the uh, you know the glass windows you know, when I was there to see if somebody was going to jump through or not. But <laughs> like, cool. You got to watch out for those cool guys in those trench coats. They'll, they'll drop in when you least expect it. Exactly. One of the uh, big things about this game, as we were kind of alluding to before, is that eventually Capcom announced that it was going to be coming to Xbox 360. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember what that was like at the time, Wes, but uh the Devil May Cry fan base, who I've been told is a very understanding uh, and caring group of individuals, uh, <laughs> they lost their goddamn minds at this news. Or at least, a not all of them, but a very vocal portion of that group was not happy about that, which, you know, it's the thing of like, well, this was a, I'm a PlayStation guy. This was our console exclusive. And you're telling me it's going over there? And I can only understand that mentality in the sense of, say, you know, I'm more of an Xbox guy. I prefer the Xbox as a console, but I'm also a big Devil May Cry fan, and I would rather be able to play that series than not miss it. So I will buy this this lesser hardware that I consider lesser just to play it only to find out that it's going to come to the thing you prefer to play it on anyway later on. And you're like, oh, crap, if I'd known that, I would have just got the Xbox because I, I like it. I could get that mentality, but I feel like that is, and you know, I don't know for sure, but my gut tells me that is less often the case when <laughs> this reaction happens to things of like, hey, this thing that was here is now going over there. But it's still going to be on the original thing that it was on. It's just spreading its wings to more platforms. But for some reason, there's some gamers that just don't like that. And I never understood that reaction or that mindset. Yeah. That, that console war mentality is uh, obviously, you know, something that's been happening for years and years and years it was present back then. It's present now. I remember there was the same thing that happened when they announced that uh, final fantasy 13 would be on Xbox. Like people oh, flipped right. out about that as well, you know, because they'd never had a Final Fantasy on Xbox before 
we were like, what are you doing? This that is a PlayStation game. Blah. That one was even more like ridiculous and like hypocritical because Final Fantasy started on Nintendo. Right. There, there were six <laughs> games on Nintendo. Like it was only the seventh game that it came to PlayStation. So I remember at the time thinking like, either you guys have short memories or you're kind of like telling on yourself of like, I can tell when you first got into this series and you act like you're a long time fan. Like, yeah, I remember back in Final Fantasy VII. And you're like, yeah, we'll ignore like the half of the series that was on Nintendo platform, sure. And we're still coming out on Nintendo platforms because like Crystal Chronicles and and whatnot. But yeah, I just don't understand the like. It's not like they're taking it away from PlayStation Three. It's like you're still gonna play it, so who cares if it more people can play it outside of like again that toxic me to lord your platform over your friend. Like, yeah, we got Devil May Cry, and you don't. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Like if. Again, if you need that to justify your purchase or your general sense of happiness, then mm, I don't know. Might want to reevaluate some things. Maybe you need to take a trip to the Vatican City. Maybe you'll. <laughs> yeah. If only it was Double May Cry 2, then nobody would have cared, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. They would be mad for the reason of like, no, no, no. Don't expose that to these people. Don't put that evil on them, Ricky Bobby. Like, please. <laughs> you got to contain the virus. Um, and the reason Capcom said they were doing this uh, wasn't uh, surprisingly. Despite the difficulties they had with the cell processor on the PlayStation 3, which, I mean, joined the club. That was pretty much every developer that wasn't first party. Uh, they said that was not the reason and that they <clears> did it because the Xbox 360 sold so well in North America and Europe. So it was more of a like, well, obviously our peeps in Japan don't give a crap about this thing, but everyone else seems to and it's doing well. So it just makes good business sense to put it on there. Yeah. Spread the love and make some money. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, at the end of the day, it's about making money. It's a business, guys. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Also, I believe from what I remember, uh, the Devil May Cry Four demo came to 360 first. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh, which is funny because that happened with Devil May Cry Five too. So oh, I, I yeah. played the DMC Five demo on Xbox One, and I remember, yeah, and I, I think they announced the special edition of Five for uh, Xbox first as well, didn't they? Oh, I don't remember. I maybe? I think so. I remember because I um I remember hearing that thinking that that was going to be a big deal potentially. <laughs> Cuz I thought that was an exclusive then I found out later that it wasn't. I was like, oh, "Okay." Were you hitting the deck in pre preparation for all the tomatoes that were going to be thrown by fans? Oh yeah. Well, my yeah, my my hair was flaming at that point you know what the <laughs> heck capcom how dare you know no not Looking really he's like from disney's hercules um, exactly <laughs> so yeah uh outside of the challenges with porting the game to new hardware and figuring out the new protagonist uh you know once they kind of got that all figured out development proceeded i guess relatively smoothly once the pieces came into place because you know at the end of the day uh i found an interview with suno where he's like you know we're just making a Devil May Cry game at the end of the day. Yes, we're trying to change things up. Yes, we have a new character. And, you know, outside of wanting to keep the audience that we got from Devil May Cry 3 and trying to appease those long-term fans in terms of maintaining the difficulty and depth, uh, you know, mechanically with the gameplay, uh, as well as the cinematic quality that DMC3 had, you know, keeping that all in mind. But also, we're just making another one of these. <laughs> and, you know, that's a very reductive way to describe you know what he was talking about but that's more or less because he was talking about how you know with resident evil comparing the two series of like resident evil each game is sort of like a 
self-contained story and that's why the gameplay can shift as dramatically as it has in devil may or devil may cry resident evil it's like it's almost like an anthology series in a weird way even though you know it does have a linear third line in its narrative whereas devil may cry by comparison is a lot more simple and straightforward at the end of the day every game is dante kills demons right it's this the story is really mostly just set dressing for the action yeah and the only difference we did this time is like nero kills demons and dante does too for a bit <laughs> so yeah yeah for a short while yeah i had heard that um originally dante wasn't planned to be i mean i think they were always gonna have him in the game but i i don't think he was actually gonna be playable in the game um so and the and they had a kind of like walk that back because Capcom management kind of like insisted that they put him in the game because he was so popular. Oh yeah. From what I, the end of that I found was that Nero wasn't even approved to be the lead character until producer, uh, Hiroyuki, uh, Kobayashi put his foot down and said, Dante has to be in the game. If Nero's going to be the lead character, then Dante has to be in the game. Yes. And and which a lot, a lot of people at the time thought that like, okay, is he going to be like an unlockable character? Is that how it's going to work? And it's like, no, 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 he's in the narrative. And the split is, I wouldn't say quite 50-50. It's probably more 60-40. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was apparently the ultimatum for Nero to even get to be included was that you got to have Dante there too, which I guess makes sense because like, you know, maybe you, you don't want to, to be too much of a departure of like well we gotta have the guy that everybody likes and it's the star of the show like even though he's kind of stepping aside letting the the young buck you know putting him over as the you know the new guy but you know you, st you know you, you still have to have john cena on the card even though roman reigns is the guy right now you gotta have john cena somewhere i know you understand all of this wesley as a you gotta as a yeah you gotta get the fan. the <laughs> yeah the uh they needed to really make sure that the Fans that were invested in the series stayed invested, I think. And yeah. people love people love Dante, just like John Cena. You know, <laughs> I've, I've heard that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, to, to John Cena like fan base, big match Dante is what they call him. Uh, and yeah, so this game uh, came out in uh, February of 2008 for PlayStation 3 and 360. It eventually came to PC later that year in July. And it did very well for itself uh we got a nine out of ten from us and what was maybe the most fun thing about researching this game is that it led me to an old uh web archive of game informer website circa 2008 which if you surf game informer during the 2000s you might remember what it looks like but and i do too but it was fun to remember just how 2000s that web layout is and so i this was actually and also in the era when you know we gave second opinions to reviews as well so i have pulled quotes from both joe juba who was the main reviewer on it and has reviewed i think almost all devil may cry games uh, with the exception of the first two and the second opinion on that was reiner who reviewed devil may cry one and two and so joe's review and this is just the an uh excerpt from the end of it says i've been a fan of this series since the beginning and this entry surprised me by giving me new features and options i didn't even know i wanted they form a tight, precise combat system that action aficionados will adore, but newcomers can still utilize. Devil May Cry 4 delivers polished, fiendish thrills that eclipse other games in the series and almost all contemporaries in the genre. 
which, you know, not I, I probably agree with that. But then Reiner, who also gave the game a nine, just, you know, it's not a big difference. They were pretty much, you know, on in sync with this. I, yep. I have his entire second opinion here since those were only like a paragraph back in the day. Um, but he says, and I, this is also me giving Reiner some redemption because we poke fun at him for his Devil May Cry 1 review <laughs> in the first episode with his uh, take that Metal Gear Solid 2 <laughs> jam. Right. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> so this is Reiner's redemption, his more, I guess, quote-unquote professional uh, evaluation. He writes, Although Devil May Cry 4 introduces a new protagonist, there's little chance of him being booed off the screen like Metal Gear Solid's Raiden. Man, even here, he couldn't help but mention Metal Gear Solid 2 in some way. Stick it to him. <laughs> Nero is a bona fide killer, and dare I say it, just as likable a hero as Dante. His Devil Bringer factors brilliantly into combat and adds an over-the-top edge to his amazing combos. Nero could certainly carry this game on his own, but the shocking events in the introductory cutscene make you count the seconds until you get to suit up as Dante again, which you eventually do. And yes, he lives up to his legacy. For both characters, the series' combat is as exciting as ever, and the bosses they confront are simply some of the best in gaming. The levels, however, suffer from lulls in the action and far too much repetition and to fight these enemies to open the door goals. That their beautiful artistry cannot be denied. Even, some, even with some faults, this is the very definition of what I expect from an action game. It's intense, stylish, and all about the cut of the blade. You agree with that? I I agree with it heavily, actually. Yeah. Um that I mean, yeah, I think he very succinctly voiced exactly my faults that I have with the game, which um it's really about the repetition, I think, in the back half. Yeah. Um and we can and... dive into that right now, honestly. <laughs> sure, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So um you go if I think you start the first 11 missions as Nero and it has a very tight very excellent pacing and then you get to the end of mission 11 and then you pick up as Dante in like the next six or seven missions and you're just backtracking back through the first 10 missions that you went through in like seven missions like as quickly as you possibly can and you fight pretty much the exact same bosses that you fought just in reverse order, just as Dante. And mm -hmm. um, it's extremely underwhelming, unfortunately, for a, what I would consider an otherwise really excellent game in the series. Yeah, I have. I agree with that, too. I remember at the time, it's like it's like a mixed bag. It's like it's a bummer to have to go through those areas again and fight the same bosses. But the only saving grace is that you're doing it as Dante, who plays I, at least in my opinion, super well yeah. in DMC4 because they streamlined the abilities he had in DMC3 where he has all four fighting styles. He's got all the weapons that he had, but you mm -hmm. can change them on the fly instead of having right. to do it between missions. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh my God, this is so much fun. And to me, more fun than Nero. As much as I like Nero, Dante, I think, is still the more fun to use because of that complexity mm -hmm. and just how easy it is to chain combos now that you can go from like okay i'm gunslinger okay now i'm sword you know sword master or whatever and you know just uh -huh. at the drop of a hat and so like that was the thing that got me through it it's like okay at least i have a new character kind of master and i love dante but man yeah. i gotta fight this plant lady again or okay <laughs> yeah can you imagine having to go through that whole thing again as nero 
Oh, like uh oh like wait, like the after Dante like is they... like another Nero section. No, and... like no, like if they didn't give you Dante to play as, and then you had to go oh. back through everything that you just did, like, oh, it's the savior. Like, so at the end of that section, <laughs> there's this gigantic statue that comes to life and like um like goes to apparently like attack Fortuna City or something. And Dante has to that's the reason Dante has to like backtrack back and like follow the statue or whatever but if if you were just like nero and you had to go all the way back again mm. oh man that what a grind that would be <laughs> do you think capcom looked at the colossus of Rhodes battle from god of war 2 which released a year before this game and was like i bet we could top that with our own giant statue battle um i don't know that's a good question because i I think that's one of the worst fights in that game. I, I don't yeah, know how you feel about it, but it's it's like when you actually do take it on, it's it's really not that fun. Yeah, I was going to say the Colossus of Rhodes definitely tops the, you know, if we did a ranking of best giant statue battles of <laughs> uh, uh, Fortuna or whatever the Sanctus, whatever the statue was called. Savior, it's called the, it? the, the Savior. The yeah. Savior, right. The The weird sort of like, you know you see a gigantic statue of sparta i think what it's right. supposed to be like angelic sparta it's like them doing yeah. like hey we watched the end of ghostbusters 2 we think we could do that better um <laughs> what if he fought the statue of liberty in that movie instead uh yeah it's it's because it's more of a platforming kind of fight you're like jumping around the, the like floating rubble and stuff which i mean that's kind of cool but yeah it's 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 not as fun as i guess like a traditional dmc fight it's is. almost like a gimmick fight yeah. yeah and it's, it's it kind of like it looks really cool like having this gigantic i'm sure at the time like the scale of it even even you know considering the statue of Rhodes in god of war 2 um the scale of that gigantic statue is massive it's absolutely huge so i'm sure that was like really impressive at the time um but the fight itself is not not great yeah, that seems like, yeah, that seems about right of like, this is more of a tech showpiece for this new hardware. I'm like, look what we can do now, guys, outside. Of, but then it's like, hey, that's cool, but it's not that fun. Yeah. Can I tell um, you what the, uh, what is a great fight? Probably what? the best fight in the entire series. Nero has to fight a window. Oh, who could forget? <laughs> yeah, who could forget that <laughs> window fight? Do you want to describe that for us? Yeah, so Nero, like, finds a secret underground lab. I think it's at the end of Mission seven six or seven uh it's right before he gets his uh quote unquote devil trigger um and he finds the scientist agnes who is uh kind of like doing this demonic research for the uh order of the sword and he's behind this big plexiglass window and he like turns all these demons loose in to fight nero and nero just basically has to break through the window so he like grabs the demons and like throws them at the window and that's the boss fight. And the window even has like a, a health gauge. And every time it takes a hit, it like goes down, ticks down. I thought that was wonderful. I wish all <laughs> windows had a health gauge so I can know like, okay, if I'm playing baseball, my friends, if we hit this window, do you think it'll hit breaking in one hit? Or do you think you could take probably maybe one before we can one hit KO? Yeah, right. <laughs> on that window. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that thing shattered instantly. I guess it was a crit. And now we have to run. <laughs> um yeah that was weird i mean the other thing i the, that i was critical of this game too were the um th remember that weird dice puzzle oh gosh yeah that you have to do where it's like this weird board game kind of setup where you're hitting these dice and you know you have to move nero across this like these colorful nodes and there's like 
some of the nodes if i remember correctly could do like had like effects that could like set you back and stuff it was almost like navigating like a mario party yeah <laughs> mini game yeah. but like nothing says fun in a character action game like uh putting a board game in the middle of it yeah like, let's just, just <laughs> bring everything to a grinding halt so you can do this twice because <laughs> you yeah. have to do it with dante <laughs> and the last sequence in the game um is actually a boss rush with that board game. I don't know if you remember that or not, but you have to like to get to the the final boss. Nero is inside of the statue and there's just this like ladder and every like rung of the ladder or like that goes up to where the final boss is is one of those. And you get through it and there's a boss at the at the at the end of it that you have to beat. And then you go to the next step and you do it all over again and fight one of the bosses again. So every boss in this game, pretty much you fight three times, at least. You know what I've learned about Devil May Cry as a series based on this is that it doesn't need puzzles. No. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think this game has honestly some of the most unenjoyable puzzles in the series as yeah. a whole. I, yeah, like I, why? I, I don't why? really like it. Like the most it should be. And I say this, I, I've been replaying Bayonetta recently. And like the most that game does is like those like the witch time stuff like yeah activate statue dodge it make the, things go slow motion and then it's just like mm-hmm. platforming puzzle basically like okay now that everything's slowed down you can move faster you got to get through the store before it closes or like the water has solidified so you can walk on it and get mm-hmm. past its gap it's like that's as far as it should go or like DMC yeah. Devil May Cry with the city attacking you which that's not a puzzle but you know what I mean of like like if you're gonna do something that if you're trying to break up the combat sequences with like something else, like those two games do it better than just like, yeah. like just straight up do like a puzzle as puzzle, but like not yeah. even like a good puzzle. Cause it's, it's like, not even really a puzzle. It, you just have random. to hit the thing and then yeah. you get put into an arena battle and then you hit the thing and sometimes it'll move you farther you hit the thing and it'll drop some red orbs and then you get into another fight. Yeah, so, it's all luck based. Yeah. Just like, yeah, you like RNG kids? <laughs> Good luck. Hope you get the right numbers so and get back to doing the cool stuff that you liked up to this point. Uh, exactly. So, so, yeah, that was not great. Um, but yeah, so this game came out in 2008. We mentioned before that it wouldn't be till years later that we got the special edition. Uh, that came out in June of 2015. And uh, it was for, I, it were now last gen consoles because it was PlayStation 4 and Xbox uh, One. And you said that was the version that you played when you played this game for the first time? Or was yeah, it original but form? I but I didn't play any of the extra stuff. So I didn't play the Lady and Trish stuff and I didn't play Virgil either. So I just played the main campaign. I was like, um, that was good. I've had enough of that for now. I'll right. Come back to this later. And I never really did. Never want to so. play this dice game again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the big thing that uh, the special edition added uh, was Virgil in his own playable scenario, which adds a little bit of context to the revelations of Devil May Cry 5 that we'll mm-hmm. talk about, yep. uh, you know, in that episode. Um, but also you can play it as Lady and Trish, which this is the first Devil May Cry where Lady was a playable character. And she plays a lot differently because she's entirely range-based, pretty much. With yeah. Big bazooka thing. Uh, so that was like a kind of a fun wrinkle to combat. It also added the legendary Dark Knight mode, which, you know, not in addition to just being harder, it added a ton of enemies on screen since, you know, the jump to yeah. the hardware facility. Over, over 100 enemies at a time in some places I read about it that mode. became a Muso game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, Devil May Muso. 
Honestly, <laughs> a Devil May Cry Musou game, I don't think that's a terrible idea. It actually, that actually is a pretty good idea. I think that could work. If Fire Emblem of all games can be like a, a turn-based strategy game, can be a hack and slash game, you may as well take the already hack and slash game and just, and what if there were 200 demons on screen and Dante was like, doing all you know swinging them and sending them flying because he already does that in the regular games so yeah so yeah, i like Capcom. i like your thinking marcus I like devil may cry heroes they could call it <laughs> and there you go we did <laughs> yeah so yeah uh so the virtual mode we'll talk about for a little bit actually because uh well actually we'll talk about that when we talk about the story which will be uh now because his, his there is some narrative stuff with that virtual thing uh so like we mentioned before, the entire hook of this game is that Dante, you know, for reasons unknown to you in the beginning, in, uh, invades this Vatican City equivalent. And as this guy, Sanctus, who's the leader, he's giving a nice sermon as uh, Nero and his soon-to-be girlfriend, Kyrie, is just chilling out. Also, the thing that, like, weirded me out about this scene when this game launched and then re-watching this uh, for, the, for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Is like why? I know that Don uh, Nero has to stand out, but it's weird that he's the only one dressed the way that he is. Yeah, and like there, it's like I, I get that he's supposed to be the attitudinal, like uh, I'm not really into this or whatever. I'm just gonna, but like no one in that world or in that city dresses like that. So I'm like, where did he get those clothes? Did they sell that stuff? Yeah, everybody else is in white except for him. He's the only one with dark colors or really any colors. Yeah. whatsoever other than white and gold like street um, clothes he's wearing yeah you know he doesn't even put his hood up like everybody else in town that's a good point he's he's got a hood at least he mm-hmm. go that far. he's gotta like the only thing white on him is his hair maybe he thinks that's enough but i guess <laughs> it just felt it, it just felt like he didn't belong in the same game <laughs> like we plucked him from like another game and dropped him in this weird like holy world and he, but we're supposed to believe that he was raised here his entire life. He's a real rebel. <laughs> yeah, he's got his headphones on. He's like, I'm too good for this. This is boring. But I'm but I'm in love with this church girl. You know, I, I the you know Kitty, who I would like to see again. You know, she's mentioned in Devil May Cry Five, but you never actually see her. I I was hoping we would see her in that game just to see is like has she adopted the street clothes look of Nero? Because she like is she still down with the fortuna stuff because like she probably wouldn't be given that it was all like basically a lie yeah but, like she I... appears in some of the i guess there's some uh, graphic novels um oh. that are kind of like bridge the gap between uh devil may cry 4 and devil may cry 5 okay and i guess she appears in those i'm saying did she just go out and get a tattoo just like she got be rebellious yeah. now put my hair down she just really liked trish's look so she decided she'd start modeling that <laughs> <laughs> i've always wanted to be like this literal demon woman <laughs> so let's go for it um but yeah like i said dante drops in boom shoots this guy and we get probably my favorite scene in the whole game is this opening fight between the two of them because yeah. you know as a as a fan you know you don't have any conscience like oh my god like you know they're trying to paint is like oh my god is dante bad now but you're like you know like okay i'm sure he's doing this for a reason but it's cool that they're playing it like he's the the heel here and also right. in hindsight i get that dante generally doesn't care you know that he just has a you know he does his thing and just like whatever yeah and that he's not 
as like affable or like as outgoing as he is, I still wouldn't really describe him as a people person. No, he generally. Yeah, like you said, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't really give off any kind of a. Any kind of a sense that anything that he's doing is really important to him. Um, yeah, like and, just... and you really you really feel that, I think, through his part of the game later on. He's just just kind of so nonchalant about everything that he does, almost to the point, at least for me, that I kind of like him a little less as a character just because <laughs> he is so just, yeah, whatever. Sure. Why not? Uh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's like it's it really kind of takes away from the urgency of the situation when he actually doesn't act like it's any problem. Yeah, and to be fair, that is the character of Dante. Like, he is, he's always been that. But I think for this specific instance, I bring it up, because, like, it seems like that would have solved a few problems if he was, like, maybe a little more upfront about what he was doing in the beginning. Of, like, mm -hmm. yeah, he's dropping in, boom, bullet to this guy's head, and then looks at the crowd, he's got blood in his face, like, he just looks like a psychopath. And, like, I was like, do you just, like, could you have said something to someone before? And I get that also he knows that some of the people in the order of the sword like closest to sanctus are actually demons or like are in on the conspiracy but yeah. like the general public that are there it's when like I, when i first I, thought that saw that scene i was like oh my gosh what is he doing he's just like mowing down all these humans he's like stabbing them and like slamming them on the ground with his sword and like whipping them yeah, against like he's the just wall like and their ass just really going to town <laughs> on these guys and i was like whoa yeah and again, you find out that they're demons, I guess. But like, again, I was remember thinking like, well, I mean, I get you got to fight these guys, defend yourself. But like, you couldn't just like knock them out or something like you could easily take these guys. You don't have to like, <laughs> like you said, stab them and throw them around like they're yeah. sacks of potatoes. And like, or even just like, did you have to shoot the guy in public? You couldn't just like find him in his chambers and like take him out. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you had to do it in the most like the loudest way possible and start and cause this panic. I this still city. don't really understand the context for that in the game, like what he was trying to achieve with that, honestly. Because, well, because well, he, you know, he's there for a job. And yeah. And, you know, he got the intel like, hey, this guy's not who he seems to be. He, he's a problem. We should take him out. So, like, you know, he's doing a hit, essentially. But I guess technically that's all of his jobs, really, when he when he boils down to it. Right. Um, but yeah, again, it's like, okay, I get that. But like the execution, like, again, I feel like there's a less public way you could have done this without like causing this giant panic in this city that the news is going to talk about. and stuff. Also, you think like the people wouldn't know who he is or something, you know, like they worship Sparta. You kind of think that they would know a little bit about, you know, who he was and his legacy and all this other stuff. But he's just doing this very publicly, like everybody's going to know who that is, right? I assume that my assumption was that Sanctus, since he's kind of the one controlling the narrative, if he did know about the sons of Sparta, he would omit that part because I, yeah, I guess it just doesn't benefit his ultimate goal of like, because I think, yeah, because remember, he's a whole, his whole thing, we're jumping ahead, is that he wants to kind of renew the city's faith in Sparta by basically staging a false catastrophe or like, it, or it's a real catastrophe, but he caused it. It's like the the it's like the real life conspiracy of like like fanatical Christian people poisoning the water supply so that they can claim the second coming is, is happening because then they could they can cause the problem and then fix it and then attribute it right. to them like right yeah. um that's r literally what Saint is trying to do like yeah I'll unleash a bunch of demons 
into Fortuna, and then I'll get him my weird mech robot statue thing. <laughs> and, and take kill- them all out. And then people will be like, wow, Sparta, you did it. And that's going to like renew my followers' faith in Sparta and by association, me as the, 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 the chosen prophet, I guess. And then I guess from there, they expand their religion and take over the world because apparently that, Agnes said that that was their goal, take over the world. I mean, I should hope so. What else are you going to do with a giant war machine of a statue? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that thing is designed to fly over cities and like smite people <laughs> with its holy power. Right. Um, so, so yeah, uh, that, I, I, I get, I guess, you know, that's his thing. And it's like, all right. But, you know, Nero watching this has no idea. He thinks this like punk guy is coming in and murdering the people that he, I guess he cares about enough to be like, whoa, hey, not cool, buddy. And they get into a very fun little fight here where they're just kind of like trying to one up each other, you know, and it's yeah. very much the like, OK, this is the rookie versus the master. Kind yeah, of thing where you kind of the, the opening of that fight is one of my favorite scenes in the whole game where Nero literally just drop kicks Dante in the face. sends him flying sometimes so good you hit a good drop kick i like when he likes him into the um was that when he i mean it was a drop kick did it but he knocks him into the bench and then he looks like he's gonna fall over but he just kind of sits up and dots is just like "Hmm." like just kind of like okay like again that that devil may care attitude that he has right um yeah like you know i like that this is very much the we're establishing that Nero is powerful because he's going toe to toe with Dante here. So before we even get a chance to play as him, you're like, okay, this guy's pretty cool because he's he's hanging with the the star. Uh, and then after that, you know, he spends the game chasing down Dante at the behest of uh, you know the Order of the Sword, Credo or Credo, who is Kyrie's older brother, who's kind of like the what like a the general head, or whatever. He's like the head of the Holy Knights or something like that. The order that that. Uh nero is a part of yeah the order of the sword he's kind of like the and he's also like he's kind of like the stereotypical big brother of like okay you're crushing on my sister but i don't really like you so i gotta kind of you know there's tension there a little bit yeah uh because he sees him like oh you know he's got he's the rebellious guy that's not like he's not as committed as i am i don't know if i want him associating with my sister but i like him enough to like keep him around and so you know nero spends the whole game going around fighting all these demons and then eventually stumbles upon the broader conspiracy of like oh wait saint this is alive and seems like credo and and agnes this weird scientist guy that i really don't like like at all like every time he's on screen i just get like irrationally upset because <laughs> he sucks so much his design is awful his I mean, voice too <laughs> like every yeah he's got this this stutter i love that nero makes fun of him because he's like oh, this- <laughs> I'll d- 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 destroy you," he said. <laughs> He's like, "Seems kind of harsh to want to kill me just because of the way I t- 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 talk." <laughs> I know, right? It's like it's like it's like mean on one hand of like just making fun of someone's stutter, yeah, but at the same time, it is funny. Yeah, that Agnes, he sucks. He's trash. Yeah. Um, but the idea that Agnes is that he has in his possession the shattered remains of Yamato, which is Virgil's sword. And that they've been trying to figure out how to use it to power their statue. And he just hasn't been able to figure out. But it's not until Nero comes into contact with it that the Yamato reforms and, you know, is attracted to him. And that's when Agnes is like, whoa, what's going on here? Okay, there's something about this kid that we thought was just like a piece of crap before. Uh, 
so then you know he finds out the whole or nero finds out the whole savior plot about wanting to wipe out you know i guess maybe not wipe out humanity but like at least take over humanity and indoctrinate right. everyone basically yeah um and you know dante event and learns that dante is not his enemy then it's like all right maybe me and this guy are on the same page and we should be working together and you know eventually nero makes his way to sanctus he's got yamato and the power of yamato has unlocked his latent demon ability you know he's had this demon arm that's been triggered and you know his devil trigger like we mentioned before isn't him turning into a demon but rather it kind of summons the ghost of it's, virgil's devil if you, trigger yeah if you've um if you're familiar with uh jojo's bizarre adventure uh he basically becomes a stand user and his devil trigger is his stand yes that's exactly what it is yes uh what band is nero named after ah yeah there's probably something there's probably a band named nero actually i'm sure there is there's got to be something out there yeah (laughs) or virgil or whatever but yeah Yeah. but his uh his double trigger essentially uses yamato um so it's like a ghost that carries yamato and then that's what does the attacking for him can i say something here that makes me feel like an idiot at the time is that even with all that I still, for whatever reason, didn't connect the dots of, like, might be related to Virgil. Like, that did not come into my mind as a kid. Or not even a kid. I was a graduated high school at the time this game came out. Uh, but, like, in 2008, I was like, oh, man, he must have some, like, he must have some blood of Sparta. But I didn't, I don't know why post-Devil May Cry 5, it's so obvious. And, like, even now, when you go back and watch this, the cutscene for this game, having played DMC 5, you're like, yeah, they didn't even try to hide this. It's like right there. Um, but I, I don't know why. You know, you ever have those moments where you wonder why you're an idiot? They never <laughs> they never outright state it, you know, and I think they just kind of wanted to leave the players kind of questioning, like, exactly what is the relationship here? And it's obvious that he has, I think um, Sanctus makes some comment about the blood of Sparta when he's, like, squaring off against uh, Nero, but they never outright tell you what's going on so i i can see how you know it would be hard to kind of connect the dots exactly like people have a lot of had a lot of conspiracy theories i think up till the point that um you know devil may cry 5 came out and they reveal more i think about what's going on in that game so yeah i think i might have assumed that he was like another brother i was like oh maybe he's like their younger younger brother like he's like the kid brother that no one knew about because it's like yeah we've only seen him use yamato to react to them but like what if rebellion is the same? Like we've never seen him hold rebellion. What if it just works for both? Just Virgil's weapon. Obviously, that's not the case, but that was some of the stuff that I remember going through my head at the time. Uh, and now, in hindsight, again, feeling really stupid that I ever thought any of those things. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, uh, you know, you get to the end of the first half of the game where you know Nero confronts Sanctus and loses. He gets captured because Sanctus to fully activate savior he needs not only yamato but he needs a direct link to sparta someone in that bloodline he's like hey you're you fit the bill come here be part of my robot thing and this is the point where it switches over to dante and like we just said dante's chapter at least gameplay wise is literally you replaying the game from in like reverse order basically right um and then you kind of find out some backstory about like how Dante got the job. You see, uh, you know, he got it from Lady, tipped him off to the Sanctus thing. Uh, you find out uh, we haven't talked about this character mainly because she's not who she thinks she is. But there was Gloria, who was like mm-hmm. a Nero sort of weird guide throughout the game. She's kind of this weirdly dressed, like 
over the top lady that again at, at first glance you're like i don't know how she fits in with this crew of like pretty uptight she, yeah <laughs> she, dudes, but... she literally appears i think twice once when she's introduced like uh at the end of chapter three um and then once kind of like chapter six when it's showing kind of the consortium of all the bad guys around the table you know and and they give her they give her a task and then they're talking about her apparently she brought them the sparta sword yeah um which allowed them to uh i guess fuel their energy or something for for creating the um giant statue yeah which you you know you eventually find out was trish in disguise which makes perfect sense because again she pretty much just acts like trish in terms of like being seductive and all that stuff and i was like i don't i don't know how she's part of this legion of doom but okay you're like oh that makes sense and i guess the idea is that she gave them the sword as sort of kind of confirm what they were doing like yeah okay yeah these guys are up to good yeah they were trying to kind of like get in to figure out what was going on who these guys were what their plans were trish was kind of like the spy because trish i think had been there for like a month before dante even shows up like she was like deep deep and undercover yeah (laughs) uh so I would like a, a scenario that's just about that, <laughs> like what she everything she was doing during the time. Cause I don't, I'm yeah, that sure. would be good. Yeah, because I don't like the special edition. I didn't play the uh, Trish part of it. So I was like, I don't think it delves into that or anything narrative with that. So it kind of opens up with that kind of cutscene that takes place before you take over as Dante. Right. Um, so it shows like why they're doing what they're doing. And then. The first half, again, is as Lady, and then the second half is as Trish. Okay. But, so it's, but so I think it's, I think it's just stuff. kind of like there's one cutscene at the beginning and then one cutscene at the end that kind of wraps it up. But they're both kind of the same cutscenes that are already integrated into the game. Right. So there's not a lot of extra context there. Yeah. And so, yeah, you go through the game. Dante just does Dante stuff. Uh, he pretty much has all the abilities that he had in DMC3 with the exception of a, a new weapon called the the Lucifer, which is this thing that fires like these kind of shards yeah. at people. Uh, I like the cutscene where he gets it, where he kind of shoots Oh my gosh. Oh, you don't like <laughs> that? Is this like the, the prime example of everything you just said Overtly about sexual cutscene in the entire series, <laughs> I think. He shoots like a, a bunch of these at this uh, stone tablet and it, it forms a heart and he breaks it and he, he has a rose in his mouth. He does like a whole sort of like Spanish like dance routine. And he throws the rose at the heart and it breaks in half. It splits. And, yeah. Yeah. It's, but uh, he's just talking about all sorts of thrusting and everything yeah. else while he's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, if you haven't seen that cutscene, um, it's really funny and um also very uncomfortable so (laughs) (laughs) what a cool guy yeah all all i said when i watched it like man we should all aspire to be this guy (laughs) yeah dante also gets a um yet another set of gauntlets called gilgamesh which is essentially the same as the pair of gauntlets that he gets in devil may cry 3 yeah the cerberus The, the the yeah and then um he also gets a new gun called Pandora, which is a gun that has apparently 666 forms, even though you can only use four of them in the game. Uh, <laughs> and it transforms into like a Gatling gun and like a big rifle and a missile launcher and a giant laser beam. 
Yeah, we got to save the other like 662 for uh, the special special edition. We got to get to the point exactly. where consoles are powerful enough where you can cycle through all 666 forms on the fly. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not I'd like to. Yet. I'd like to see that. Uh, was it SUNY Legends that does all the like super um, like crazy videos of on Twitter about with action games and stuff, like crazy mm. combos and yeah, we'll have to <laughs> wait for that SUNY Legends. Uh, Video to come out for Pandora. Oh, <laughs> you wouldn't believe what form 432 and if you mix it with 158, what you can pull off of that. And you're like, oh, okay. I, I did not know. Uh, one thing that, because, you know, this whole back half is Dante basically rescuing Nero from being captured. And then Nero kind of finishes the fight. You know, he takes out Sanctus. But I remember thinking at the time that it was kind of weird that Nero was built up as this, the new hero guy. And then he gets captured and like subsequently maybe looks like a little bit of an idiot or maybe not an idiot, but like, like a failure, right? I'm like, Oh, I, I did all this. And then I got, I still failed basically. And now the, the old guy has to come bail me out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, does that make Nero look good? <laughs> that I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm looking at it from like a, a wrestling fan perspective. Like, Oh, you know, we're building up the new star. But then we still like he still loses, you know, his big title win. And then we kind of default back to the the proven success and Dante of like, yeah, he has to bail him out. And the only reason he succeeds is because the guy everybody knows and loves save him. Yeah, like, I, I think it I think it kind of grounds Nero more as a character, though, because the only reason that he actually does fail is because they kidnap Kyrie, right? They're holding yeah. him hostage and he can't really let loose. Because, right. you know, he's worried about her. And I feel like. Really, there's like a real um, dichotomy between the first half of the game and the second half of the game, just with the attitudes that Nero and Dante have towards what's mm-hmm. going on. And um, I really appreciate that, honestly. Like, I appreciate the fact that Nero isn't just like another cocky kid coming into the fight, you know, mixing it up, throwing a smart ass remark out there. Yeah, and I mean, he totally does that, but he I mean, does that. But he's also he also actually has legitimate emotions, exactly. unlike unlike Dante, who's just nothing but smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring that up, too. Like, that's that is the thing that I do like about Nero is that he is earnest. Even though he is as you know, he's like I said, he's a smart ass, too, and kind of more of a punk kid kind of way. Uh, and at least in this game, maybe it doesn't always feel entirely earned. Because, you know, he's he's not as experienced as Dante. Like, Dante can get away with it because, you know, he can back it up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, like, I've always appreciated that that's the one thing that he makes him vulnerable is the stuff with Kyrie. Like, when he's anything involving Kyrie, like, the snark goes away, the, the bravado drops, and he's, like, genuinely concerned for her well-being and, like, genuinely cares for her and loves her. And I, it does, that did feel refreshing and it still does. Like I liked it in Devil May Cry 5 too, of like it, in a world that is so absurd and ridiculous and also just kind of like tongue in cheek and, and snarky. I like that there's just one element of like earnestness in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that they never go back on it either. I, I'm glad that there isn't like any like, oh, we broke up or, or anything like that. It's like, oh no, they're still... They're still going strong, it seems, which I, I appreciate that. It, it, yeah, that does anchor him to make him feel like a little bit more like a real person compared to Dante, who can feel more like a, a caricature. 
Um, yeah, I have to go back and replay five now and see because I don't remember exactly how different they feel in that game versus this game. I'm sure you guys will talk about it in the uh, Devil May Cry episode five episode when you get to it. But yeah, there I mean, Dante definitely feels a little bit more humanized and like he is not quite as over the top as he is in four, like with the stuff that he does, like he, he feels like they balance them out a bit more. Like he feels a little bit more like a real person, but mm-hmm. he's still Dante you know so it doesn't like you still go like oh yeah that's that's my dude that's my pizza eating guy um and then nero just you know <laughs> he he just feels because you know in that game a few years have passed so like okay nero's a little bit more mature he's more experienced now he's been hanging out with dante he's, he's inherited his business to you know too but there but he still has that love for kyrie when it, and it comes out and shines when it needs to i think across the board dmc five in terms of their characterization is just better <laughs> probably okay. be- the best of any of the series because even the minor characters like trish and, and lady still feel a little bit more realized than they ever have so yeah you've played five. Oh, you haven't played five right um i have played part of it but i never finished it so i have the special edition waiting for me uh sitting on the shelf and actually now that we had this uh retrospective i'm actually planning on jumping in again oh, nice. very soon yeah fun game i want to so, yeah. get to that and then uh both the bayonetta games before bayonetta 3 comes out Ooh, yeah those are uh, i can attest to someone that is replaying bayonetta 1 because i i love both of those games 2 was my game of the year when it came out uh both of those games are still really fun yeah. uh so yeah you know like we mentioned nero gets you know free thanks for the help of dante he takes out Big old savior saves humanity, saves Kitty, gets the girl. Uh, Credo dies though. He he does not get. Oh. <laughs> Poor Credo. Yeah, he. Uh, that's what you get for uh, saddling yourself with a terrible conspiracy, I guess. Uh, but you know, he has his he has his redemption moment before he dies. So you know, he gets that. At sure. Least. I I mean, I really kind of felt like he was never really a bad guy. You know, he was kind of doing the bidding of somebody he looked up to, but he, you know. I feel like he was always at least earnest, you know, he wasn't like, aha, I'm part of this evil organization. I'm going to rule yeah. the world. You know, it's he like was the, just the moment he found out what was really, really going on. He was like, whoa, what the hell? It wasn't like he went along with it. He was like, wait, I didn't I knew we were doing this, but I didn't know we were doing this. Yeah. And the moment they <laughs> yeah. started messing with the sister, it was on. Yeah. You don't mess. Don't mess with the, the sisters. Sisters before the misters is what I always say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can I um, just talk really quickly about probably one of the hammiest scenes in the series that's in this game? Um, When Dante fights Agnes, the the opening to that fight, they basically just perform this like Hamlet-esque play at the beginning. And there's spotlights that go on both of them. And Agnes is even holding up like a human skull and they're talking about... Ah, the sanctity of demonhood. And then, like, Dante does some, like, Shakespearean quote or something like that. And it's really bizarre. Um, And (laughs) I just don't know what to say about it. It's just like, this is the most hambone, hammy thing I've ever probably seen in a video game. It's wild how silly the Dante half is compared to the Nero half. Because the Nero half is, like, it's silly but in the devil may cry way of like everything you're doing is inherently silly because you're this demon guy like propping up so popping dudes in the air and juggling them but like you know the most he does in terms of like 
being silly, I guess, if you want to call it that, is when he talks smack to demons, right? Like, he just, I'm like, ah, screw you, I don't care. Uh, where, like, you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's Devil May Cry. But then with Dante, they just went full, like, like you said, like, hamming it up between that and the, and like the, the, the Spanish, like the flamingo dance stuff. And yeah, yeah. Like, they just went full he's cartoony like, at And he's like point. dancing with the demons. There's that one boss fight against the ice toad that has the, like, little, sprites on the end of its antennas and he's like getting it on with these uh weird sprites yeah it's just complete tonal shift (laughs) from the first half to the second yeah and i guess maybe that was their way of like i they had to have realized okay we're having people run back to this level again that's kind of boring we have to make this as different as possible so let's just even though we're making them kind of do the same stuff at least it's sillier (laughs) the stuff in between certainly lightens the tone that's for sure yeah, and then it does a hard pivot button when you get to the end. You're like, oh, that's right. We're trying to stop this guy from unleashing like a holy war on everybody. Yeah, we, we got to get back to that. So, uh, yeah, that is pretty much the uh, the entire game. Uh, I wanted to mention the Virgil stuff in the special edition. It's not long, but the idea is that this is Virgil prior to Devil May Cry 3. So this is the earliest we've ever seen this character, um, even though he still looks just like he does in 3. You know, but, you know, this is before the events of that game where he visits Fortuna because he has heard what the town is about. of like, oh, they worship my dad. That's interesting. I want to see what that's all about. And, you know, he gets into his own little adventure where he's just trying to find the truth behind their reason for worship, pretty much. It's not like a lot. It's not like the deepest story campaign. It's just something that, like, again, after Devil May Cry 5, uh narrative it's kind of interesting to look back and go like okay i guess this is where things went down unfortunately what they don't get into is at what point he conceives nero (laughs) like there's nothing on that which i was really disappointed by and granted this came out before dmc5 so who's even knows if they knew that that's where they were gonna go Um, yeah i don't know they might just be making it up on the fly you know yeah. Or how how long did the special edition come out after the original game? I wonder. Oh, oh well, I was just, I was gonna almost correct myself too because it came out years later because this was 2015 yeah. that it came out. Um, so it's like okay, they already they clearly teased that there was a familial link between Nero and and Virgil. So even if they had written five stories, like okay, yeah, it seems like it seems like you're gonna go there. So uh, I wonder, yeah, if they like had conceptualized what was gonna happen at five in five, and then just thought, hey, this is like maybe just like a teaser there that we can drop in and use as the Virgil part of this, you know, special edition of four. All I wanted, and I'm, I'm not saying I need a cutscene of like Virgil getting it on. I don't need that. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I wanted to see him. I wanted to see Nero's mother. Right. Yeah. I was like, who does he meet? And like the only thing, and this is me totally reaching that even sort of hints is there's a scene where he's walking down the street. He has his hood on and stuff. You know, along the way, he gets attacked by demons and, you know, he dispatches of them. But he's walking by the, the resident city and there's one shot where he walks by and there's a woman that stops and notices him and kind of like turns around and kind of looks at him like, oh, who's, you know, who's that? Kind of like that look. But it's I think, not. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's reaching. I think that's really what is supposed to give you a sense that, yeah, there was somebody in Fortuna that was interested in Virgil in some way because that woman is wearing like this red robe where everybody else is wearing white robes 
And so they really made her to stand out, I feel like, more than anybody. And the fact that she like really takes notice of him and turns around and looks at him. You don't see her face. Her she's yeah, put she's in just like, like everybody else. But I I don't think that's reaching at all. Okay, I was wondering, it's like, am I making too much out of this? Because like it could just be like, you know, there's been plenty of times I've just looked at a stranger that walked by, like, oh, who's that guy? And then you just go about your day. So I was like, maybe it's just that. But it's like, is that so, again, I was like, they're focusing on her enough to be like, is that supposed to be the Nero's mom? Yeah, like, I think it's just supposed like, to be like a like a wink, wink, you know, kind of thing. Oh, that's what she said. That she was like, mm, oh yeah, she was the one winking. Sexy man, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> white hair. I see. I saw what you did there with those demons. That's we don't see stuff like that around here that often. It's pretty. That's pretty the attractive. weird thing because this takes place decades before, right? Um, because Nero's what, of... like a teen. How old is he in for roughly? Like eighteen at minimum. Something. But, yeah, probably. Younger than twenty-two, I would imagine. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. I think he's probably like eight, eighteen, nineteen, something like that. Um, yeah. But why are there demons there? I mean, the, the demons started appearing when they started doing these experiments, right? And Agnes said, "I've only started doing these experiments like a couple of years ago." So it, I don't understand. Like, okay, this is me <laughs> over. This is me again overthinking video games. But why are there demons here thirty years ago? Um, when they didn't start doing that demonic research until, you know, four years ago or something like that. Ah, uh, I never thought about that. I think I'm so used to like Devil May Cry, demons just appear and that's just how this world works. So you don't even question. They're like, yeah, they just <laughs> you're just at McDonald's and one pops up in front of you and you kill it. Um, exactly. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's an interesting point. Maybe unless you're suggesting that the research has been going on longer, maybe. I'm not suggesting Agnes anything. Is... I just I have no idea like why there's these demons in this city like. All Maybe this Virgil time ago, attracted them because Virgil's got some baggage to say the least. Maybe he somehow brought him there accidentally. Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Let us know if you have an, if you know the actual explanation for that. But yeah, like like I said, this Virgil stuff, it's like he's fun to play. He pretty much plays similarly to how we played in DMC three special edition, which was fun. So if you like that, it's worth checking out. But in terms of the narrative stuff, again, if you want anything sort of like substantial and like the Nero stuff you're not going to get it, which is unfortunate. So it might be better just to watch a compilation of the cutscenes in on YouTube, which really there aren't a lot. In fact, there's probably the most substantial one is the first and last cutscene is everything in the middle. It's more like two second long, like Virgil stepped in a room and reacted to something. I think it's <laughs> I, I watched it before we uh, recorded. I think it's nine minutes. You can watch. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he steps somewhere and goes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay great um, it's just like die yeah that's it i'm here uh so yeah but yeah that wraps up uh devil may cry 4 this game like i mentioned did pretty well 85 on metal critic right now special edition 75 for some reason i don't understand the drop mm. was but you know uh very good game overall you know i'd say like you say it's higher up on yours i'm maybe middle of the road uh or like it's weird because like all Devil May Cry games are good except for the second one, uh, so it's just like well, but the repetition stuff in this game, you know, it's a pretty yeah black eye on it. That's yeah, like I think it would be a lot higher on my list if it wasn't for that for sure. Yeah, like literally, I'll keep all the Dante content, just put him in different areas, <laughs> and it would be fine. Um, but yeah, you know, still a great game if you haven't checked it out yet, especially if you're if you enjoy Devil May Cry Five, if you like to see Nero's uh, introduction. Uh, give it a look. 
you know, that special edition is a, a good version of that game. And yeah, any uh, final thoughts on DMC4, Wes? There was one cool scene that I really liked with Nero. In He's like, he just got to Fortuna Castle and he's in the library. And it's the first time I think you fight these knights that appear that you have to fight throughout the game. And he thinks that the knights are with the order, but they're actually like demonically controlled armors. And he's like just reading this book, talking to this knight. And this knight has this like long spear and he just takes the spear and he's about to stab Nero. And Nero just like closes the book on the end of the spear. Mm -hmm. And he's just holding the spear. The knight's like trying to move it and he's just holding it with a book. It's pretty cool. I thought that was I thought that was pretty, pretty awesome. I don't know if that would actually work. I feel like that would go right through that book unless it's like some real thick almanac or something <laughs> it's the the uh power of the devil bringer ah uh, yes so, of course yeah so that makes that'll that'll be my I, I guess final thought on devil may cry 4 <laughs> yeah well actually i'll ask you this do you like nero are you happy with oh, him yeah. as a character do you do you think he like if devil may cry 6 if and when that happens would you like them to stick with nero would you like him to have it go back to dante as a star i do like nero a lot i just i, I like his earnestness you know, a lot more, maybe even more so than Dante, you know, because right. like I said, I think Dante can be a little over cocky sometimes. And yeah. uh, I like the fact that that uh, even though Nero's really strong, you know, he still has legitimate emotion. Right. Yeah, he he's cool in my book. Yeah, he's cool with me, too. And like I said, I'd be curious to see uh, you finish Devil May Cry 5 to see what you think of Dante in that game, because I do think they I don't know if there was a criticism of that, but they do round him out a bit to where there are some human moments with him in that game. Yeah, I, I really got to get back to it. The V stuff didn't I didn't really love that all that much. But, That's, uh, fair. <laughs> That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. I, I could see that. But uh, yeah, thanks for watching, guys or watching, listening. I mean, maybe you're watching somewhere. I don't know. Looking out at the distance as you listen to us in your ears. But next <laughs> week. We will be tackling Del uh, DMC, Devil May Cry, the Ninja Theory reboot that came out in 2013. The, maybe you could say, black-headed stepchild <laughs> of the series, which, you know, <laughs> and maybe the most, uh, I don't even want to say divisive. I mean, definitely divisive when it was coming out. I think in, in the years since, I think people have mellowed out because I think that game is excellent, personally. But... You know, it's it's a fun one to talk about. There's a lot of a uh, history with that game, a lot of ups and downs. You know, sending death threats to poor team over it, and just the the yeah. wild swings that that game took. But it's controversial you know, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a fun discussion. And uh, just as a heads up, we recorded that one in advance when John Carson was uh, still a Game Informer, so he'll be on that. So you know, in case you listening to it and go like wait is john back it's like no we did that one actually well in advance uh so yeah but uh you know shout out to him again and shout out to you wes thank you for coming back on and you know anything you want to plug before we uh, sign off um no just uh check out uh the great game debate podcast if you um have enjoyed the conversation that marcus and i had we have a lot of similar types of conversations over on that show with our debates and everything um we have a new show every other week and we also have uh, game clubs that we do on our discord. We have a, a game club coming out in two weeks on August 21st for stray. 
Everybody loves cats, right? So yeah. if you want to come and talk about that really popular cat game with us, uh, join the Discord and uh, come. We have a very in-depth conversation, just like we do here on Video Gameography, just as a big group of friends. So nice. it's a lot of fun. And you guys have a Twitter account, right? Yeah, it's at Great Game Deb, the number eight. Great Game Debate at Great Game Debate. <laughs> That's not confusing at all. No, we got it. <laughs> and it'll be in the show notes, so you'll you'll see it. But uh, yeah, give them a follow. Thank you so much again, Wes. And thanks to you, the lovely listener, for tuning in again. Uh, DMC is coming next week. And until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Be good, love one another, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>